Thank you, thank you. Hey, what a time of worship. What I don't know if you can feel him, but God is in the room today, and we are so glad that you took some time to come to church. If you're new to our community, welcome. Hi, I'm Billy. Um, alongside my wife, we serve as the lead pastors of this 22-week-old church, and uh, we are just seeing God do some new things, y'all. That's the, that's the thing with, with, with religion. With religion, we can easily fall in love with the repetition of it all. And, and there's nothing wrong with religion. The Bible says pure religion is about taking care of widows and loving the orphan and giving. Like religion is good uh, when it's done purely. But sometimes we can fall in love more with the traditions of church and more with the attendance of church and the, the thoughts of church and I believe and all that stuff. But we never applied in our lives. And so as a church here at Gospel, we believe that you can follow Jesus every day in real life. We believe that the Bible is not just for Sundays. It's not just for your grandma. It's for you. Uh, we believe that, that, that this book is, is real. And God gave it to us. And so as a church, every week we come together and try to figure it out. Simple as I can put it. And we're glad you took some time to gather with us today. Uh, if you have your Bible, though, let's jump right into the word. Mark chapter four is where I want to go today. And uh, if you were here last week, my wife kicked off a brand new collection of messages called In the Fields. And I got, I got a chance to listen to the message myself. How many were blessed by Randy's word last week? My, my, my. And uh, she's, she's out there doing what she does, but just grateful that... that Oh, hey. <laughs> hey, I love you, girl. <laughs> Normally she's gone. I'm like, Tommy sounds good today. <laughs> um, but just a great word that she brought last week as we jumped into this. Bring it back, Billy. Uh, <laughs> as we jumped into this series, okay? Mark chapter four, if you're ready, say I'm ready. I think you should have fun in church. I mean, if... <laughs> So, I mean, if, if you got to be here, you know, some people, some of you are like, I got to go. Well, if that's how you feel, you might as well have fun while you're here. Mark chapter four, here reads the word of the Lord. It says, and he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him. So he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some of his seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since there was no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. Verse eight, and other seeds fell in good soil. Someone say good soil. Say it like you're away. Good soil. And produced grain growing up, increasing, yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Jesus looked and said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, I want to title this message, part two of our series. I want to title this message today called, Don't Blame the Seed. Don't Blame the Seed. Last week, we talked about how our lives are like a field. And how we have to protect our field. We have to make sure that we're properly managing it. But we also have to be aware of who's sowing seeds into our field. And so for the longest time, we've allowed everybody else's seeds to come into our field. But then when it comes to God's voice, there's nowhere for him to put what he wants to say. And so today I want to talk about that a little bit as we get into it. It'll be good. All right, let's pray. Father, help us today. Thank you for the spirit of revelation. Lord, I ask that as we study your word, you would give us a supernatural understanding. 
I don't want to leave this place more confused about you, God. I want to leave knowing you a little better. And so today I ask for that spirit to be here with us as we try to understand who you are and read your word together. We love you in Jesus' name. And if you believe it, say amen, amen. Turn to somebody next to you. Say, don't blame the seed. Don't blame the seed. Don't blame the seed. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to go with me on a journey now to when you were in third grade. Oh, Lord is right. Third grade for me, I was living in Rahway, New Jersey at the time. I was going to uh, Roosevelt Elementary School. And uh, when you're in third grade, you, you don't know what life is about, but you think you know everything that life is about. And uh, I remember my third grade teacher, her name was Miss Sims. And, 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 you know, third grade Billy was pretty excited. It was just a miss in front of it, not a missus, if you know what I mean. I was like, I loved Miss Sims. I was like, goo goo ga go over Miss Sims. I love you, Miss Sims. Whatever you need, Miss Sims. I'm showing up with apples and, you know, all this stuff and, and all that kind of stuff. Love you, Miss Sims. And so one day we were told we were going to have to do a science project. And, uh, you know, I know that how you did science projects probably uh, gives a tell of how old you are. Because when I say science project, some of you thought of something completely different than what we have today. But even back in the 90s, when I did science project, it was still like paper mache volcanoes, you know, and like, you know, mom, can you help me make this thing? And, and I remember having to make a paper mache volcano and, and, you know, going a whole like two weeks, we had to complete it. And just every day I'm coming home and, and, you know, trying to do a little bit here and then go play video games. And then, you know, trying to do a little bit here and then go play video games. And like, you know, everything the third graders do. And finally, uh, Sunday came and, I was nowhere near being done. Show up to school on Monday, and I can't say my dog ate my paper mache volcano. That, that excuse doesn't work. And, you know, so I remember getting there in front of Miss Sims, and all the other teachers, uh, the kids are there, and they did theirs. And I just remember saying, Miss Sims, uh, mine's incomplete. And she says, why? And I said, well, uh, I didn't have enough time. She looked over at the other students and said, well, they were given the same amount of time as you. And I said, no, 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 I have a different set of time. I didn't have enough time, and I just went on this long thing and eventually got, you know, a bad grade for it because I didn't do it. But there was this thing that reminded me as I was prepping for this message, that idea of, like, I didn't have enough time to do something that other people had the same amount of time to do. Have you ever blamed time for lack of results? Have you ever just said, like, I didn't get to it because I didn't have enough time? Or we say this thing, if only I had more time in the day. And if we had more time in the day, all we would do is just jam it with more stuff. It doesn't matter if it was 26 hours, 27 hours, we would keep finding things to jam in there. You you, you ever been been there before where you blame time for lack of results? I've learned something as I get older. Uh, When you blame time for lack of results, time usually blames you for lack of effort or lack of focus, or lack of attention to detail. See, we all have a temptation, don't we, to put blame in other areas. I think when you look at our modern-day political system, that's all it is anymore, is whose fault is it? We can't even talk about legislation or this or that without it being someone's fault. And that's just the way we think about the world. Well, we have to place the blame somewhere. As early as the beginning of time, when the serpent came in and tempted Eve... God came to Adam and said, what happened? You sinned. Adam said, it was the woman. The woman you gave me. She did it. And what's the woman do? The woman says, it was the serpent. He did it. So from the beginning of time, we've been placing blame in all these places. And I just want to tell you today, friends, that sometimes even when God wants to plant something in our lives, it's not the seed's fault that it doesn't grow in our lives. 
The seed itself is the word of God, is what Jesus tells us in this parable. There's one day, Jesus with some disciples, and he's having a conversation, and, and he's, they're asking him about what's the kingdom of God like, and, and how come some people aren't following you, and how come some people are really into you, and other people want to kill you? And Jesus just looked at him, he says, you know, it's kind of like a man that went out to sow a seed. And they go, well, okay, where's he going with this? It's, he goes, yeah, it's like a guy went out to sow a seed and, and he sows in four different areas. He sows in four different places, but gets four different results. He sows the same thing the same way, but based on how it's received is what happens in that field. And I think in our same, same lives, friends, we can place blame on everybody else, but at the end of the day, what we do is on us. I like to say it like this, no one is responsible for my spiritual maturity except me. No one is responsible for the health of my soul except me. I can't control what happens to me, but I sure can control how it affects me. And there comes a point where as Christians, we have to start protecting what God has given us. First Corinthians chapter three says it like this, and this is where the theme of our, our series comes from. The apostle Paul He's talking about church, and he's talking about how people get saved. And he says this. He says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God. Someone say, only God. Only God gives the growth. So, so, so there was this dispute in Paul's day. And uh, Paul was a preacher, and, and this guy Apollos was a preacher, and there was all these different ministers starting to spread the news of Jesus. Just like today, there was, there was churches starting, and people were familiar with different preachers and stuff. And as Paul is writing this, he's saying, you know, some of you guys are saying, well, I really like Paul's teaching better, and I'm only, I'm only going to go to Apollos' church. And, and <laughs> church hopping has been around since the beginning. Like, people were jumping here, jumping there, jumping there. And Paul's like, guys, that's fine, but just don't think that either me or Apollos is the one that's doing this. Don't come to gospel church because you're like, well, I like how Billy preaches. It's like, that might be one thing, but come because there's fruit. Come because there's results. Come because in 22 weeks, we've seen over 70 people come to Jesus. Come because you're starting to see an emphasis on the next generation. Come because you're seeing your own family actually want to sit in church. That's a good sign to keep coming. Come when you actually see that husband that came in on Father's Day and now you're happy he's here. Like, come because of those things. So he says, whoever plants, whoever waters, they're not anything. Only God gives the growth. Verse 8. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. You belong to God. Paul is saying your life is a field. At certain seasons in your life, that soil was hard as rock. Couldn't get anything in your life. Other seasons, there was too much water, just a bunch of mud. I mean, imagine your life. Remember after the death of the family, when all those weeds that grew in your field. Imagine all my recovery people, when you relapse that first day, day one, starting over, having to look at that field again and saying, well, what am I going to do to make this work this time? Our lives are like a field, and we have to take care of them. Three quick things about our life being a field. Randy touched on them last week. Number one, we have to control who has access to our field. I can go preach at another church and go reap the benefits of another man's field, but I have to come back into my congregation. I have to come back to my flock. I have to come back to these people. I have to come back and say, it's good to be in one field, but I got to be careful who's in this field while I'm gone. Are you following me? So I got to control who has access. Number two, I have to keep it free of debris. I've got to go around and clean up a little bit sometimes. And number three, I have to ensure that my field is being tended to. Sunday church is a great way to tend to your field. 
showing up every Sunday, making it a commitment to be in the house of God, even when life isn't going the way you want it to. All you're doing is telling, you're telling the Lord, I, I need help tending my field. When my wife and I moved from California over here, uh, having a front yard and a backyard was like a new thing for us. Are you with me? And California had a balcony out of my apartment, all right? That was, the, that was it. We'd put little planters, and that was our backyard, you know? Out here, it's like there's a front yard, there's a backyard, there's a side yard. And yes, you guessed it, there's another side yard. And, and I just started noticing, like, how much work it takes just to keep up your yard. And then if you got them neighbors, if it goes too, too long, they'll call the cops on you and be like, not cutting his grass, you know. Like, consider that. We have all these principles with our actual yards. Now, look at that with your soul. When someone calls and says, your field is a little overgrown, it's not for their own comfort. They're saying, this doesn't match your design. I can't see the beauty of your life because all I'm seeing is the overgrownness of your field. It's just all over the place. There has to be something where we go, oh, no, no. I got to make sure my life's in order so I'm able to receive. Someone say receive. If God gave you everything you wanted, would you be able to receive it today? A lot of times we're mad he's not giving us what we want. He's like, I want to give you what you need. Start with that. So I want to look at the parable of the sower we just read for, the, for our remaining time together. And I want to look at these four types of fields. And I want to liken them to the seasons of our lives. Because I think God is sowing something this summer. I think summer doesn't have to be a dip, you know, where everyone's like, oh, well, we're all going to go out to the lake and stuff. Go have as much fun as you want. Go out and have fun. It's not a bad thing. But I just believe when we're out doing other things, God can be sowing stuff still. And I think he wants to sow some things in our life. So let me show you the four fields from Mark chapter 4 that I think can represent where we are, okay? Number one, the first field. Number one is the, 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 the field that was along the path. And this is my field. My life is too busy. Mark chapter four, verse four, my life is too busy. And as he sowed, some seed fell among the path. And the path is where people walk. And there's a lot of movement on the path. And there's all kinds of stuff going on on the path. And it says, and the birds came and devoured the seed. I want you to catch this. The seed was sown and what was supposed to grow for God was snatched up by something else. There has to be something in us as Christians when we start to notice this seed is reserved for the field that God has entrusted me with. But every now and then, something else will come and just snatch that up and say, well, what about this? Why don't you do this first? Why don't you do that first? But don't be dismayed. Don't be confused. Sometimes being busy doesn't mean that you're being fruitful. My pastor used to say, uh, busy is being under Satan's yoke. That was, that was, that was, his, that was his acronym. And basically what he was saying is sometimes we can just keep busy doing nothing. And we're like, I'm so busy. I'm, I've got no time for anything. But then there's no results in our lives. Uh, this random quote says, don't confuse activity with productivity. It's easy to be busy being busy. And so when God wants to sow something new for our marriage, some new practice, you know, my wife and I, we try to do 777. Every seven days is a date night. Every seven weeks is a night out of town. Every seven months is supposed to be a vacation. Ask me how it's going, okay? <laughs> but we have some principles. We have some sort of goal that we're working towards. It's not just like we're so busy because we're pastors and we don't have time for anybody. It's like that can't be the case. Our life has to make sense with the time that God has given us. Are we using it the right way? In Psalm chapter 27, uh, the fourth verse, 
the psalmist says something very interesting, and I want to just throw it at you and we'll move on. He says this, and starting in verse 4, he says, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and I will gaze upon the beauty of the Lord to inquire in his temple. Let's go back to the beginning of the verse. Just want you to catch this. One thing I have asked. You know where peace and contentment comes from? When you have a simplicity of focus. David said, I'm only asking for one thing. I'm not asking for how do I deal with this? How do I deal with that? I'm not asking for I need help with this. I need help with that. He's saying, I just want to see God. And then if I see him, everything else will work out. So yes, life can get busy. Yes, we can have parties and family and things and stuff to do and appearances to uphold. But at the end of the day, if that life is so busy, there's no room for God to sow seeds of potential in us. There's no reason for God to sow purpose in us. Then we're not going to see the results. You know what the big miss is when your life is too busy? You miss the moments that can't be duplicated. Like, that's the big miss. Like, if this is your field today and your life is too busy, just know that you are potentially missing out on moments that can't be duplicated. When, 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 when rest is just to stop working, but it's not actually to recharge and fall in love with God or remind yourself why you love your spouse or remind yourself what a blessing children are. It's easy to get so caught up in the, the drama that sometimes you forget, like, oh my gosh, I have an incredible wife. Oh my gosh, like we've been through some stuff, but I'm still here. And, and we can get distracted by what we don't have that we're ingrateful for what we do. Is that enough there? Y'all good on that one? Okay, so my life is too busy. Number two, second field that Jesus talks about is my life has no depth. So the first group, he says, I sowed a seed along the path, but the birds came and got it. The second one, verse five, it said, other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth. Someone say depth. It had no depth of soil. And then when the sun rose, it was scorched. Since it had no root, it withered away. I'd I'd like to take a few moments on this one because I'm concerned at, at how shallow our Christianity can be sometimes. I'm concerned, even, even just in our current stage, we, we see Christianity kind of like as a, as a set of beliefs to ascribe to, when, when really in the Bible, we see a much more radical kind of faith. And, and I'm just a little worried sometimes when I see people who are Christians so easily affected by something that is temporary. Because God did not send his son to die for us, to raise from the dead, so that we can say, oh, I believe that. And then the moment we're laid on a bill, we like are like worried we're going to lose our, our souls. Like, and, and I just want to pastor for a second, if that's cool. Because even as a pastor sometimes, I can let my problem become bigger than my God. And if you didn't know this, you get to determine the effect that something has in your life. So in this book of Psalms, David has a line where he says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. He's not saying let's make God bigger because he's already the biggest. You can't make God bigger. He is already the biggest. It's, he's the biggest thing ever, okay? But what David was saying is let me get my view a little bit bigger of who he is. So when we make our problems big, our God becomes small. But when we make our God big, all of a sudden our problems become small. When our life has no depth, we're easily moved, and then we forget to do the things that God's called us to do, and then 
Before you know it, the next generation doesn't even know God like we do because we're easily moved. Like, do, do, do you think like 12, 13, 14, 15-year-olds, like they're watching Christians right now, like even skeptical ones, and they want to see like how are, how are my parents going to deal with this issue? And if you think kids are just quiet because they're always in agreement, no, they're just watching. They're just watching how, how, how this generation is going to deal with stuff. They're just watching to figure out, well, if, if Christians can't even get along, why would I want to be a part of that? They're watching that stuff, and, and it affects how God moves through generations when one generation has no depth in it. Can I prove it to you? Let me show you Judges chapter 2. This is the end of Joshua's life. He has helped get Israel into the promised land. Joshua, man, he's a gangster. If I could say anything about Joshua, he's a gangster, okay? If you catch my, if I offend you, I'm sorry. But like, he's just, he just, he just does things that leaders do. Like, he, he's just incredible. Like, he's following Moses, and Moses is God's guy. Like, God is speaking directly to Moses. So God would tell Moses, Moses, I want you to come up to the mountain with me. Moses would say, okay, I'd go up to the mountain. He'd spend all night getting up there to encounter God. And the Bible says Joshua would go with him and go halfway, wait for him to come down. And then it says Moses would go into the temple and, and, and he would pray and he would go meet with God. And it says while Moses was in there praying, Joshua was right on the outside, just waiting for him, just, just ready to serve. His heart posture was never, look at me, look at me, look what I can do. His heart posture was always like, how can I serve? How can I honor the man of God? How can I push this mission forward? We pick it up at the end of his life, Judges chapter 2. It says, and Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord. I love that. See, when you live like that, that's how, they, that's how you get described at your death. The servant of the Lord. Oh, I hope people don't remind me, remember me as the preacher. I hope they remind me as the, they remember me as the servant. Someone that just said, I'll give up everything for you. I'll go wherever you want. The servant of the Lord died at the age of 10, 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance at Timnah Harris in the, in the country of Ephraim, north of the mountains of Gash. And all the generations, all that generation were also gathered to their fathers. Here it is. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work which he had done for Israel. That's a scary verse right there, that an entire generation came and they didn't know God like Joshua knew God. They were like, God can heal people? Yeah, right. Like this TikTok generation is getting these ideas about God from other people on their phones. And if you're a parent... Like, I feel this now as a parent. If you're a parent, you have a responsibility to train your child in the things of God. Like, you don't have to jam them with Scripture, but you better make sure that there's some spiritual stuff, some Christian stuff mixed in with everything else. You know what I'm saying? My daughter is 13 months, y'all, and I'm already going like, okay, how do I start having these difficult conversations? How do I start preparing her to show her biblical truth? Because we're, 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 we're living in a world that's questioning the truth because no one's spending time in it. You don't, you don't question the truth when you actually know it. You question it when you're unfamiliar with it or you got a question about it. And you go, well, how come, you know, how come the Bible says that, you know, homosexuals should be stoned? Like, what's up with that? And then we just assume these things about God and then put a whole label on, on a whole religion without ever saying it's got to be deeper than that. We got to untangle some things. We got to understand some things. We make these blanket statements. And we have to know that it's because God has trusted us to have depth. There's a next generation looking at us. I don't want to be known for how much I know about the Bible. I want to be known for how much I love people and can help them in the Bible. 
Okay, let's be known as a church that doesn't know what the Bible says. Let's be, let's be a church that knows how to put into play, and how to love and ask questions and journey with people. And for the longest time, this has been like, let's hit him over the head with it. Nah, how about we point him to Jesus and let the Holy Spirit do the rest of the work? So we need some depth because the big miss here is if my field doesn't have any depth, then the next generation forgets who God actually is. And that's scary. The next generation forgets who he is. My life has no depth. Field number three, got to hurry up here as I close. Field number three, my life is chasing the wrong things. So we've got the field along the path. My life is too busy. We've got the field that has no depth. The sun gets it. And then we got the one that falls among thorns. Look at verse seven. Other seeds fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. In other words, I was pursuing something that didn't have eternal results. I was chasing things that I ain't gonna take with me to heaven. I just wanna be honest with you. No U-Hauls in heaven. (laughs) Stuff is great, but it's not God. And stuff has the opportunity to pull us away from God, but at the end of the day, when we choose to still show up, still say, God, he's first, still say he's the center, that's when we get our lives on track and chase the right things. God is not against you having nice stuff. He's against that nice stuff pulling you away from him. Who am I talking to? (laughs) On Father's Day, all the dads are like, I was hoping for something better than this, man, you know? My life is chasing the wrong things. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter one, the, the preacher says, I observed everything going on under the sun. I want you to see this, Ecclesiastes chapter one. And I observed everything going on under the sun. And, and really it's all meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is kind of like one big spoiler alert. Ecclesiastes is like, so I went and tried to find a bunch of money and I thought the money would make me happy, but it's meaningless. And then I went and tried to do this thinking this would make me happy, but it's meaningless. And what Ecclesiastes was saying is without pursuing eternal significance, you will always be empty. When you are just pursuing likes on Instagram, a career to have a bunch of money, you know, to have the white picket fence in the house, to to have the boat, to have the vacation home, whatever the thing is, Like whenever we put that as the focus, it lets us down. But when those things are only there because of God, all of a sudden we find contentment because we know where they came from. Really quick, here's what else uh, the writer says is meaningless. Seeking to know everything. Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse 14. Seeking to know everything is meaningless, y'all. God is omniscient. He knows everything. We don't. The smartphone is man's shallow attempt to try to know everything. Can't even teach a five-year-old anything anymore. They just pull out and Google it. Seeking to know everything, meaningless. Number two, working without satisfaction. Just working just to work, but never actually having a day off where you go, this is why I do what I do. Never having a day with your family where you're actually reaping the results of your labor and you say, this is why I did this. How about this one? Gaining wealth without divine favor. I got a bunch of money, but God's not pleased with me. I got a bunch of stuff in this life, but in the next life, I might be uh, poor. How about achieving success because of envy? That's meaningless. Just because you envy somebody else, you're trying to get successful. The fifth one's thriving temporarily on popularity. We had one of our uh, videos here. There's like 
one of Randy's little clips on Instagram, it's like 50,000 people watched it. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, 50,000 likes. Oh my gosh, 50,000 people viewed that. Oh my gosh, it's not real. I love social media, it's great, but it can get fake real quick. So when we try to have the success just from the popularity, it falls apart. And then lastly, being discontent instead of grateful. Jesus, what does he say about this meaningless stuff? Well, Mark chapter eight says he called the crowd to himself with his disciples. And he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world if he forgets and forfeits, devalues his soul? You might have this field where you're chasing the wrong thing. The big miss is you have no contentment and you could have more focus on the things that matter. All that to get us here. Three fields that are not so good. Here's the fourth one. My field and my life is ready to multiply. We don't want to be in a place where we're chasing the wrong things, you know, where we're too busy, all those things in between. Uh, We want to be in a place where we're ready to be multiplied. What does that mean? Verse eight, and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain and growing up and increasing, they yielded results. So you know how someone's a Christian? Not by what they say, by what you see. You know, how, you know how you can show someone you're a Christian? Don't say it, show it. Show it. Christians aren't the ones, you know, that are stockpiling all the food in case the world ends. We are, but we're the ones that are ready to give up the food in the middle of the world ending and say, I know you didn't prepare, here's something. I know you didn't prepare, here's something. That's where we are, okay? So you gotta do what you gotta do, but don't forget my life is supposed to multiply. I'm supposed to give off results. Who's getting the glory from your life? Because multiplication has been the plan since day one for God. God gives us something and entrusts us. And then he says, what are you going to do with it? Don't add stuff to it. Multiply it. Make that same thing even more. But from the beginning of time, God's heart's been multiplication. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. I'm going get, to get you out of here, I swear. Genesis chapter one, verse 27, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, created him, male and female, he created them. This is a controversial verse nowadays, okay? Something to be aware of as Christians. We need to know where's the scriptures say about this stuff. It says God created male and he created female and God blessed them and God said what? Be fruitful and multiply. The first thing he ever told man and woman was, now multiply. I'm glad you're here, but I want more. And God knows that we were created to bring him worship. So naturally, more people equals more worship. And when we bring more worship to God, he gets more glory. Do you see the equation? So rather than us holding on to what he's given us, he says, no, I want you to give that to someone else. And I want you to pour your life into someone else. And, and, and I don't want you to be just Pastor Billy. I want you to put Billy into other people. Take what you've done and say, okay, Jesse, you want to be a preacher, Jesse? Come here, Jesse. I'm going to pour my life into you. Here's how I prep my messages. Here's how I communicate. Here's what God taught me about public speaking. So it's not just like, yeah, figure it out, kid. You want to be a preacher? Okay, go ahead. 
No, it's, dude, take it all. Here's all my stuff. Here's how I prepare. I'm willing to multiply, which means I can't get stingy. And I think we're coming to this point as a church where we're, we're, we're doing great for summertime. But I think in our own individual lives, it's time to multiply. It's time to God, God to ask you to multiply that peace that you've been looking for. Multiply the finances. If you're in a drought uh, financially, if inflation's killing you, if gas can't, if all that stuff's killing you, let's believe God to multiply it. Let's believe God that he's gonna be faithful to give you what you need. Let's believe that his word is true, that I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen the righteous begging. That's what the Bible says. So I'm gonna hold on to that truth today. So in the beginning, God said, multiply. Let me show you the end. Revelation chapter 20, the end of time, the end of, the end of everything. In my Wednesday night group, uh, we've been talking a lot about Revelation, just the book of Revelation. And so next year, we're gonna do like a whole week uh, where I'm gonna fly in some people, we'll have guests here. We're gonna do a whole seminar on end times, the book of Revelation, because I'm just hearing all kinds of stuff out in these streets. And I'm like, okay, let's get to the Bible. Let's try to figure out the Bible together. Let's, you know, so next year, we're gonna do a whole thing. But Revelation chapter 20, this is the great judgment. Jesus has returned. Uh, The church has been through the tribulation, thousand year reign, all this complicated stuff. And it picks it up, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. This is Jesus on the throne. And from his presence, the earth and the sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And then another book. Someone say another book. Say it again, another book. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. So in Genesis chapter 1, God says, multiply. In Revelation chapter 20, at the end of the Bible, you know how God judges us? based on how well we've multiplied. Well, I'm a Christian. Doesn't that mean I'm getting in? Christians, yeah, you're gonna get in, but you will still be judged. Can, can, I, pass, can I just be a pastor? Like, a lot, like I used to think this for years. I was like, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven. I can do whatever I want. You know, I got fire insurance. Like, this is great. And I just wanna just deepen our, our understanding a little bit better here. One book was opened. That was the book of life. The Bible says they come and check if your name is in the book of life. And if your name's in the book of life, you're not going into the lake of fire. Amen. But there's still books, everything we've ever done that God's going to go through. And God's going to judge us according to that. And I believe he's going to be kind. And I believe that he's going to do, you know, he's, for those who put their faith in Jesus, yes, he, he's going to welcome us. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. But there is going to be that reality of, let me show you some things. So why wait till then? Why not decide today that I'm not going to get up there one day and that book be empty? My name might be in the book of life, but I want the books of multiplication to reveal that I did something. That I spreaded the gospel, that I shared love, that I showed grace, maybe, or others didn't. I feel like I could drag on all day here because this is so important that we understand what it's all about. One day we will stand before him. And one day it won't be the church you went to. Well, I went to gospel church. He's going to go, okay. He's going to say, what'd you do with my son? Well, Pastor Billy was my pastor. Yeah, but what did you do with my son? 
well, 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 you know, I, I did this. Okay. There's one group that Jesus actually says, they're going to say, Lord, we did this and we did that. And he's going to go, I never knew you. Because he sees the heart, friends. Let's not go another day without him having our heart. I want to pray for you um, before we close. Father, thank you for just uh, pushing us into this parable. Felt like you pushed us into it, God. Like you told us we need to get in here and see these fields. So I pray for anyone in the room today that their life might be too busy and those seeds are falling along the path. I pray for anyone in the room today that their life is, has no depth. Pray you would deepen their relationship with you. I pray for anyone in the room that they're chasing the wrong things. Thorns are grabbing the seed you've given. We wanna be people who multiply. So we love you. With your eyes still closed, um, if you're here and you don't know if your name's in the book, not the book that everyone will have, but the book of life that has the names of those that put their faith in Jesus. And if you're here, I'd love to give you a chance to know Jesus. If you don't know him, or maybe you've like strayed away from him and you're like, I just need to start fresh. I need to start anew. If that's you, I wanna give you a chance to respond to the message today. Um, and let us pray for you to be welcomed into that, into that kingdom. So if that's you, would you lift your hand on the count of three? Say, Billy, I wanna know Jesus today. One, two, three. Anybody in the room, God bless you. God bless you. God, I thank you for the hands that are lifted. I thank you that your word says when we confess and believe we are saved. So continue to be that truth for us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, can we put our hands together, y'all? We love you. If you made that decision, a couple of you, we'd love to talk after church. Uh, Right over here in our next steps by the exit there, our team can get you a Bible. We've got groups going on now. I believe we'll have a list of groups out there. Uh, If you're looking for information about small groups, one of our group leaders will be at Next Steps and they just got a printed list with the days, the times, the leaders numbers and all that. So if you wanna get connected, please stop by the table and uh, get connected. It'd be a great thing for you, all right? We're gonna dismiss now uh, with a quick time of offering. On your way out, you'll see uh, ushers holding those black buckets. Thank you for your generosity, those of you that have been given. Um, If you're new to our church, No pressure to give, no pressure at all. But as Christians, it's fun. We love it. We believe that God so loved the world he gave. And so because he gives, we just see it's natural to love him and respond by giving. Um, And so whether that's your time, some of you showed up today at eight o'clock, help set this place up. You're gonna stick around to help us break it down. Other people, it's your treasure. Just giving financially is a way that you can give. Um, And then thirdly, your talent something that you're good at, you can give and use that talent for God's glory. And so we thank you that you do take time to be generous here at our church. Can I show you a scripture? First Corinthians chapter three. I wanna show you the message paraphrase here. Can't go to offering without another scripture, you know? Um, here, here reads the word of the Lord. It says this in verse five. Who do you think Paul is anyway? I love this. It's a message paraphrase. Who do you think Paul is anyway? Or Apollos for that matter. We're servants, both of us. We're servants who waited on you as you gradually learned to entrust your lives to our mutual master. We carried out our servant assignment. I planted the seed, Apollos watered the plants, but God made you grow. It's not the one who plants or the one who waters who's at the center of this process, but God who makes things grow. Planting and water. Uh, planting and water are menial servant jobs at minimum wages. What makes them worth doing 
is the God we are serving. You happen to be God's field in which we are working. And I just love just this little paraphrase of the same verse we read earlier. Um, We get to do this. God's gonna grow your seed today. Uh, If you're giving an offering, something above 10%, or you're you're giving just because God told you to give, we, we have faith that when you sow a seed like that, God will multiply it. God will use it beyond what we can expect, all right? So let me pray for your offering and then I'll dismiss and uh, we'll see you next week right back here at Gospel, all right? Father, thank you for the tithe. Thank you for the offering. Lord, we trust you today. We bless you with these finances. Uh, Lord, as we give, whether in person or online or automatically or making a decision today to give, we know that it's because of your word. We can be reassured every need that we have will be met. That as we let go of what's in our hands, you're gonna provide for every, everything we need. And so I just pray over any bills right now that might be stressing people out. I pray over any mortgage stress. I pray over any worry or fear about 401ks or about retirement plans. I I pray against any fear that has to do with our finances. Today, we as a church say we trust you. We trust you with our finances today. So we love you. We bless you. We build your kingdom in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Have a great Sunday, everybody. Thanks for hanging out. Make sure you get connected afterwards. We'll see you next week here at church.